2: I don't know how to follow that. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's Trader Lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Bono & Eisen, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, a real estate record breaker will tell you what just happened in the mortgage market that could add fuel to the sizzling hot housing trade. Plus... Peloton peddling to a new all-time high today, but are more gains? An uphill climb from here. And later, Bonoan is taking the mound to pitch his next best idea, why he thinks this solar stock is an out-of-this-world investment. We start off with the developing story in the social media world. Facebook and Twitter both under fire today after restricting users from sharing a news article about Joe Biden's son. Let's get straight to Julia Borson, who's got all the details. Julia.
0: Well, Melissa, the big question of what content social media giants should allow users to share is in the spotlight as Facebook and Twitter both limit the distribution of a New York Post story that claims to show smoking gun emails related to video President Biden and his son to video related to President Biden and his son, citing minimal evidence backing the story, a story which the Biden campaign refutes, saying it wasn't asked about key issues in the article. A Facebook spokesperson tweeting, quote, while I will intentionally not link to the New York Post, I want to be clear that this story is eligible to be fact-checked by Facebook's third-party fact-checking partners. In the meantime, we are reducing its distribution on our platform. Twitter blocked the story on Wednesday, saying it violated its policy prohibiting the use of services to distribute hacked material with personal and private information. Now, all of this comes after President Trump filed an executive order to clarify that the scope of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act does not permit social media companies that alter or editorialize users' speech to escape civil liability. Now, today, just today, FCC Chair Ajit Pai announcing he intends to move forward with a rulemaking to clarify Section 230's meeting. He says, quote, social media companies have a First Amendment right to free speech, but they do not have a First Amendment right to a special immunity denied to other media outlets, such as newspapers and broadcasters. Now following this announcement, from Pi two Democrat FCC commissioners have come out in opposition to his announcement. They say the FCC should not do the president's
2: bidding. Melissa? Julia, this seems a little bit different. Uh, In that uh, Twitter and Facebook have decided to censor uh, the actual distribution of this article by the publisher itself, correct? I mean, this is a checkmark, verified account by the, the New York Post. It's one of the most circulated newspapers in the United States
0: well that's the question I mean is it is it different if it's a verified account that we've had both Facebook and Twitter say that they're going to treat the President differently in his tweets because they want to make sure that the public can see what he's saying, but the question really is, is a publisher. Um, like the New York Post, that different. And I think specifically what, you know, that different from any person sharing data, mm-hmm. but I think specifically what um, Twitter said about the idea that this is a, violating a specific rule they have about hacked material and personal information, they're trying to tie it back to something very, very specific in their terms of service.
2: All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Vorst on top of this developing story. Meantime, Texas Senator Ted, Ted Cruz, a Republican, Fired up and sounding off on, on this earlier today on CNBC, here's what he said on Power Lunch.
3: We've been seeing big tech get more and more aggressive on censoring and silencing voices they did disagree with. That being said, the last 24 hours marked a, a dramatic escalation, and, and, and they've crossed a new line.
2: Let's trade. in. certainly we've gone down this path before. We've seen headlines like this before. Are these social media companies platforms or are they publishers? A critical distinction to their business models, Guy Adami. And let's be clear, I don't want to make this a political conversation. This is simply, can they do this to any publisher? This could be the New York Post. This could be the New York Times. This could be the Wall Street Journal. This could be USA Today. It doesn't make a difference. The question is, Do they have uh, the place? Should they be censoring these publishers? And by doing so, does that jeopardize their business? It's
4: fascinating, right? I mean, I think, listen, you can understand why people are apoplectic about this and you can understand why um, there'll be groups who use this as a talking point. I totally get it, maybe justifiably so, but companies like Twitter and Facebook are allowed to make really stupid decisions. Uh, because if you, if, if, there, if there was a law against making stupid decisions, we would all be in jail. So I just think it was a really, really poor decision. With that said, the stock traded really well today, if mm-hmm. you look at Twitter. And I know people don't want to hear that, but that's what we're here to sort of arbitrate. And if you look at the way Twitter traded, I mean, it basically from 11 a.m. this morning, along with the broader market, I understand, it actually closed higher on the day. So the market doesn't seem to be worried about it, at least for today. And that's, by the way, having Twitter seen a run from $30 to current price. So it had every opportunity to sell off in a meaningful way on the back of a tape that was not behaving this morning, and it closed green. To me, in the earnings, I believe on the 27th, maybe the 29th, I'm not sure, that tells you everything you need to know in terms of Twitter.
2: Brian
5: Kelly, your take. Well, you know what's interesting? This reminds me very much of the drug stocks and the pharmaceuticals leading up to the 2016 election, where everybody was concerned that if Hillary Clinton got in, then all of a sudden you would, their business model would change. So here we now have a situation where, you know, politics are playing a role in, in corporate business models again. And I, I think, you know, it, I think it is a threat, certainly the more that Twitter and Facebook or any platform decides to editorialize, that does change their business model. But really what matters for investors is, you know, how is this going to impact the market? And, you know, the one thing you have to say in general, it looks like tech is a bit in the crosshairs of politicians, which could, you know, keep the lid on the Nasdaq. But it didn't really have that much of an effect, in my view, on the rest of the market. You look at the equal weighted S&P 500, that was actually up today. So, you know, under the surface, there are actually some good things in the market outside of these kind of political headwinds. So let's let's break this
2: down a a longer term threat, perhaps, but at least for today, Tim, I mean, the the threat to a Twitter or Facebook would be to lose users because of this. But Mm -hmm. I guess the question is, would they, in fact, lose users? And I'm I'm going to tell you guys about this Pew Research study, which found that 10 percent of all users generate 92 percent of that content that's on Twitter of that subset, 69% identify themselves as Democrats. So they probably won't well, lose many people. Again,
6: yeah. So the, the politics and the numbers and the electoral college and the majorities in our country and what's a, a prevailing view because those are the numbers. Let's not talk politics because the politics around this I think are absurd. The politics for you know the companies are that if they were quick to take this down, they're getting trouble. And obviously, if they just let this go, they're going to get in trouble. And, and, and look at Facebook. Uh, you know, Facebook's been through the ringer on this. I'm not defending them. I don't feel sorry for them. Um, and, and ultimately, I'm here to tell you what I think the stock's going to do, which is nothing. Uh, Because if you think about what Facebook went through in the early stages of the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the social sensitivities that were being highlighted and and to the extent that their site was not doing anything or that advertisers were very upset and seemingly their biggest advertisers were pulling uh, their support until there were a change, until Twitter became uh, some arbiter of, of what the truth is, which... Facebook continues to say they will not do, uh, and they will not change their policies for anyone, even for their biggest clients. So back to what do the stocks do? Well, look, um, Facebook's underperformed Apple year-to-date 30%, but it's outperformed the S&P by 20%. Uh, Twitter is near all-time highs and has been breaking out. And my sense is, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey appearing in front of Republicans, uh, you know, in two weeks. I don't think is going to change the trajectory of the stock. I think what matters for the stock is their ability to monetize uh, those DAUs that are growing nicely. And, yes, everybody knows it's a political season, which happens to have been uh, a time for Facebook, uh, well, Facebook, but certainly for Twitter to re-rate in the past. Yeah.
2: Bonoan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think these guys can get on the right side of this. I mean, if it's not them not doing enough, when we're talking about hate speech and um, things that just, you know, aren't up to snuff or whether or not they're doing the proper due diligence in terms of screening through and coming through. And then it seems like we overshoot completely on this side and we completely editorialize something from a very credible source. So I, I think, that, you know, it's tough. It's a, is it too hot? Is it too cold? I, I really feel like they are inviting additional criticism and regulation. That is going to be dictated to them in terms of what they can and cannot do. So from that point of view, I don't think it's necessarily positive for their business model. I would also expect litigation and um, editorial costs to increase in lockstep because of that. With that said, in terms of the stock price, as everyone has said, that's what, you're, that's what we're here to talk about. Nothing is happening, right? If you look back at Facebook through the BLM movement, you had all these smaller companies that were boycotting. The stock didn't move at all. And you're seeing the same translation into the current situation here.
2: All right. Let's talk more about the impact on social media stocks involved here. Joining us now, Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Gene, thanks for joining us. Um, And I'm sure we've had a variation of this conversation at least five times. This time it feels a little bit different for them to decide, for Twitter to decide to censor effectively a publisher. Is it?
7: Actually, I don't think it's different. I think this is still deja vu. It's still Mm -hmm. the details don't largely matter here. What matters is the overarching theme and that's pretty straightforward, is that legislators on both sides of the aisle want greater restrictions on social media. Today, it happens to be the Republicans speaking out. In the past, there's been Democrats, there's been other issues around Black Lives Matter. All of this ultimately means that greater regulation is coming. I think that's the one takeaway. The movement in the stocks today, the lack of movement in the stocks today, I think is uh, a, a little bit misdirected. Ultimately, I think that if, I am correct, That there is greater uh, regulation, that they're going to have to find ways to ultimately manage their content more aggressively, one of two things is going to happen. The costs will go up, and that is negative for the overall business. Or second, I think that you're going to see ultimately that uh, advertisers may not be happy in terms of whatever decisions that the regulators make. And so this is a can of worms that these two companies are navigating, and I can understand that the, the lack of movement in the shares given this is going to take probably one, two years to sort itself out. Hey, Gene, it's BK. So I'm glad you brought up can of
5: worms because it strikes me that if Facebook and Twitter or any social media platform now has to have an editorial department before anything gets out on their platform, um, or, or, or maybe not, I don't know, but it just seems that that would be a tremendous cost that, and as an investor, it would be almost impossible to the model uh, going out. Is, is that what you're see- Was that what you're thinking? Or is this just going to be isolated accounts here and there and an annoyance that these these companies are going to have to deal with?
7: It's a continuation of what we've seen, Facebook spending more money. They'll spend yet even more money. And I think that that's not fully reflected. And ultimately, um, I think you're going to see much broader um, views as a publisher. I think that that's where this is going to get in the land. It's also important to note, too, when we think about that view as a publisher, even though that those social media companies don't like that distinction, they're asking Washington for direction on this. They don't like going through these fire drills. And so ultimately, um, I think that there will be this uh, greater cost.
2: Aside from hate speech, Gene, things that are obviously factually incorrect, why, why do social media companies have to go down this route? I mean, as an investor, wouldn't it be cleaner to just consider them platforms?
7: Well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to be uh, platforms and try to stay out of this. But ultimately, uh, the content that uh, gets us most engaged is the content that's most toxic. And so uh, this is just one of the fundamentals. I'm, I'm veering off from Main Street here, Melissa, and getting into my views around social media. But ultimately, I think that... Uh, uh, this, uh, these platforms are toxic and uh, there needs to be greater rails uh, around the way that, that content is. And just operating as a platform as it stands today is not advancing how uh, humanity is thinking right now.
2: OK, I'm going to ask you one last question, Gene, because you said you, you know in your heart of hearts and your mind that these platforms are toxic. But are these still good stocks to be invested in?
7: No, I don't think. I think okay. the near term, the things will be fine. I think longer term, there'll be more regulation around it. And I think there's just a lot better places to put your money.
2: All right. Gene, thank you. Good to see you. Thank you. Gene Munster, let's broaden this uh, conversation. Favorite stock in the social space? And that can also include, of course, a guy the likes of a Pinterest or a Snap, your, your favorite uh, platform, as I believe. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, if you look at Pinterest, it's had a tremendous move. We mentioned it yesterday. Rick Heitzman was on, and we talked about the run that that stock has had in earnings. And I think you could stay there and snap. You know, I think that stock has obviously um, really really done wonders for itself. And I think a lot of it came while Facebook was facing some of the headwinds that they saw. I think it sort of snuck under the radar screen, and it's and it's been allowed to now sort of flourish. I will say this about Twitter. This is not a political statement. I don't think... I don't think there was anything nefarious going on there. I just do think it was a really stupid, dumb, use-your-adjective business decision that the stock market could either penalize them for or, in turn, reward them for. Mm-hmm. So I think you sort of stay with Twitter here. If, if this is something that outrages you, you don't have to be on Twitter, nor, by the way, do you have to be on Facebook.
2: Yep. Uh, Bono, in same question to you. Favorite stock in social space?
1: Yeah, I still have a hard time betting against Facebook, particularly when you take into consideration that it also has uh, the Instagram brand under it. It's it's where people go when they need to spin on marketing, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I can't trade stocks now for what might happen four or five years down the road. Clearly, you'll have an opportunity to reassess at that juncture in time. But right now, I'm sticking with what's been winning.
2: All right, we've got a news alert now out of Washington, D.C. Let's get to Eamon Jabbers with the latest. Eamon.
8: Yeah, Melissa, that's right. Senator Elizabeth Warren is now calling for an SEC and CFTC investigation into the Trump administration for what she calls insider trading. Now, this is following up on that New York Times story this morning, which suggested that Trump insiders may have been saying different things to conservative and politically connected and financially connected groups behind closed doors about the coronavirus than they were saying in public at about the same time. Now, what Elizabeth Warren is saying here uh, in her statement uh, is that if this report is accurate, it represents an appalling abdication of duty by President Trump and top officials uh, in his administration. It also indicates that numerous investors may have used this early and inside information about the looming, tragic economic and public health consequences of the pandemic to extract enormous profits for themselves and for their investment companies. So now, Melissa, it's not at all clear that the CFTC and SEC will investigate this. Insider trading law is very Complicated when it comes to Washington and what's considered uh, insider information here and what's not. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren here making the point that she views this uh, as uh, unhealthy behavior to say the least. Uh, the, the other question that we're going to have to look into with all of this is what exactly did These Trump administration officials say privately uh, to investors, donors, conservative allies and the rest uh, that they weren't saying publicly at the same time. Was there a real material difference between what they were saying privately and what they're saying publicly at the time? All that is going to require more investigation. And Elizabeth Warren wants the CFTC uh, and the SEC to do that investigation. Guys,
2: Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers in Washington. Brian Kelly got a comment.
5: Yeah, so it's interesting. This really goes to the heart of what is insider trading here. Was this some sort of material information that you couldn't have got out where? And I I would think, you know, I I remember back then, back in February, you saw this virus spreading across the globe. So I think any astute investor would have stood up and say, hey, wait a second, there may be an issue here. Politicians lie to me all the time. I may not want to listen to that. So I'm not sure this goes to insider trading. Sounds to me more like political theater. (laughs)
2: Coming up, the stay-at-home trade, getting a big bid today. We've got a double dose of record highs to tell you about. And later, the lock-in lowdown, how another major milestone in the mortgage market could light a fire under the red-hot housing trade. Fast Money's back in two.
9: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. A pair of big wins for the stay at home trade. Peloton and Zoom both hitting all time highs in the back of some bullish analyst activity. But we start off with Peloton, the stock gaining nearly four percent after Bank of America raised its price target to a new street high of 150 bucks a share. Tim, do you buy into that?
6: I certainly haven't to this point. So uh, kudos to all those folks that really understood the, the secular trend here. But this is uh, right. So was it just a hardware company? Of course not. Was it just a software company? Of course not. Oh, how about a content company? And, and I think you get, uh, at least what the analyst day, about a month ago, really was treated to in the sense that 100 million subs isn't that preposterous. So um, the, the stock, uh, at least in the short term and technically, and say what you will, um, this has been a, a run that's absurd. It's up 500 percent. And everybody knows these numbers. Um, the 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 opportunity here is great. I don't think it is right now. And and I, I was saying that $200 ago, or excuse yeah. me, $100 ago uh, when I think this stock maybe has another hundred to the upside that probably beats me to the to that downside. But uh, valuation so tough and, and something I've missed.
2: BK, earlier on our editorial call, you revealed that you are a new customer.
5: <laughs> I am. Yes, I, I ordered one, I guess, about two or three weeks ago, and I've got a November 19th delivery date. So to me, The stock makes sense that the thing's a runaway train. I mean, it's a freight train here. And the reason why is everybody who's an investor is out there, and they're buying this thing. They're seeing six-week lead time, and it's kind of like Lululemon. I remember when Lululemon first came out, everybody at the end of the month would look at their American Express bill and go, how much did we spend on Lululemon this month? i got to buy the stock. I think the same thing's going here uh, for Peloton. So it's hard to value in terms of looking at it rationally because you have that irrational behavior in it. It gets tougher to buy here, but I think I'm more in Tim's camp. I don't want to short this thing by any means because it is such a freight train. Yeah. Guy?
4: Look, I think we've been pretty steadfast on this one for a while, and I'm going to compare it to Square in this way only. When Square came Mm. public, everybody said, oh, this is just a hardware company, and they completely discounted all the ancillary things. And, And it's similar to what's going on here in Peloton. Now it's trading at probably close to nine times next year's revenues. I mean, deep end of the pool stuff. But you know, they just said they're building another they're building another factory. I think December the factory is going to be done. There's obviously huge demand. BK is on board. I'm sure B Icebreaker is going to grab himself one if he doesn't have one already. And I think you <laughs> might see that hundred and fifty dollar price target that Bernstein put on it in the earnings, which I believe are early November. Do you have one Bonnowin?
1: no but i as i said a couple of shows back i i own the stock and let it go a little too early Mm. but from a risk reward standpoint right the stock's already here around 135 137 somewhere in that range and the price target is 150 risk reward i don't really think it's there i think you buy it on a pullback i mean i understand the data all stacks up subscriber growth Uh, website engagement, all of those things translate translate well. The winter is coming, COVID spiking. I I think that you can make the case as to why this is the perfect storm for them. But I do think a lot of this is pull forward subscriber um, engagement. And so I'm holding off here.
2: All right. Uh, We've got some breaking news here out of Washington. Let's get back to Eamon Jabbers. Eamon.
1: Yeah, Melissa. We're now getting a new readout
8: from Nancy Pelosi's office about a conversation between the Speaker of the House and the Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin about stimulus negotiations. Pelosi's office saying that that phone call happened at 3:30 this afternoon. It took place uh, for more than an hour, uh, and the Speaker's office is saying that uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin indicated he will accept the Democrats' language with a few changes around testing. Uh, there still seems to be a long way to go here from the Pelosi uh, readout from the Pelosi team. Uh, what we're hearing is the Speaker. The Speaker reminded the Secretary that the President has recently and repeatedly urged an agreement and indicated his willingness to go big or go home. The Speaker also raised Leader McConnell's comments today about not being willing to put a comprehensive package on the Senate floor. Secretary Mnuchin, according to Pelosi's staff readout, indicated that the President would weigh in with Leader McConnell should an agreement be reached. So no indication that an agreement has been reached, but an indication that the Treasury Secretary says the president will sort of lean on uh, Mitch McConnell to try to get him to move off of his half trillion-dollar number that McConnell says he's not going to move off of. So we still have a three-sided negotiation. We still have three sides with three different positions, but an indication there was another call uh, and maybe some incremental movement here uh, among the various sides. No indication that we're going to get a deal anytime soon, though, Melissa. Back All right. Uh,
2: incremental, I think, is the key word there. Eamon, thank you. Eamon yep. Jabbers. And obviously, um, g- given the jobless claims more, uh, number that we got this morning, Tim, the markets are hanging on the notion that we could or should have more stimulus here. Um, Eamon, I think, said it very well when he said this is incremental movement. Is incremental good enough for the markets?
6: I, I think it has been. I, I think mm-hmm. this sense of, of a wall worry is something that the markets are are able to trade around. And, and I, I just, you know, I default to neither side can go without a deal. I, I don't think Democrats can can have uh, President Trump signing a big deal the day before elections. I don't think that uh, the, the Republicans can, can look as if they're not willing to compromise off of something here. So um, that's my view. And I think the market is trading as if it is because um, regardless of where the market goes, you know, between now and elections and whether it would come after elections or not, the economy needs something. Uh, and it needs more than the Federal Reserve. And frankly, at this point, that's all we have.
2: Brian Kelly, you here on this panel, we're the only one who said that there would be no stimulus deal and that that was the risk that was not being priced. in. And here we are. We still have no deal. So what do you think happens now?
5: Yeah, I, I still don't think we get one until Election Day. This is going to be all posturing back and forth. You know, both sides want to look as though they're trying to help the American people. Uh, but both sides clearly don't want to compromise um, the American people certainly need this help. The government decided to have a mandated recession. Uh, that's not anybody's fault in business. So therefore, you know, the, the right thing to do uh, would be to pass some kind of stimulus. But that's not the right thing to do when it comes to politics. Everybody wants to gesture and posture. So I don't think happen, anything happens until after the election. Mm. But I do think the market is looking ahead and saying, hey, once the election comes along, we are going to get some stimulus. And I think that's why over the last week or so, we've seen the rally in the market.
2: All right. We've got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up
5: next. A new record low for mortgage rates, the 10th time that's happened this year. Why that stat might tell the true story of what's going on in the markets. And what do historically low rates mean for the housing sector? We go off the charts to find the best plays in the space. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
9: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at 30-year mortgage rates dropping to a record low for the 10th time this year. This is according to new data from Freddie Mac. So how much can this fuel the already sizzling hot housing market? And I guess you also have to consider housing prices, Guy, which um, in certain pockets are actually going higher to offset those lower mortgage costs.
4: Tailwind continues without question. I mean, this, th- these are all incremental positives. Obviously, you know, we talk about the housing related stocks. Restoration hardware has been a monster. I mean, I know for a fact we talked about William sonoma WSM because we had a whole conversation about um, their sales of Dutch ovens, which created quite the stir with Tim Seymour and myself. I don't really understand. I digress they're very, a bit, but they're right very
1: good
2: vessels for for braising. And, uh, Which was exactly items. my
4: point. That, <laughs> that's the point that I made. I also made the point that it was on valuation still relatively inexpensive. And even with an all-time high, I think today at 16 times next year's numbers, I still think WSM is worth a look. So uh, cooking, cooking vessels notwithstanding, I think you can stay in both WSM and
6: restoration hardware, Mel. Tim? Well, the d- the Dutch oven is a double edged sword, but but William Sonoma is it, not. It's really and, not. And it's not. It's expensive. just it's, it's
2: just a cooking
6: vessel. It is a cast
2: iron okay. no, I, <laughs> cooking vessel. <that's laughs> of course it, it is. Is, it is of course it is. It is what it is.
6: Of course it is. And, 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 and William Sonoma at 15 and a half times five year average, it's not expensive. Um, how about my Whirlpool, which I, I power pitched. I know we have one tonight, but you know, the story around all of the ancillary, the, the HVAC equipment, whether it's train or carrier. Mm -hmm. Um, so this entire trade is working and and I think it works better than in fact, the home builders where I think valuations in some cases are very stretched, but for some of these larger, they're, they're called building material stocks and they tend to be industrials and they're still very cheap. Um, restoration. No. And then how about Home Home Depot and Lowe's, which are just off of all time highs. But those will keep going higher as well. I'd stay in those trades as I have.
2: All right. Let's stick with the housing sector. Our next guest uh, is de- deconstructing some trades within the red hot space. And he's even going inside the home for some stock plays. Let's go off the charts with Chris ferrone of Strategus Chris, what are you looking at?
3: hi melissa how are you uh listen i think uh this trade is still very much in vogue but when we talk about home building we got to talk first about the broader consumer sector and i brought along one chart that i think is very very telling we like to look at discretionary stocks versus staples to get a sense of the market's risk appetite to get a sense of the market's perception of the economy and what i find so remarkable despite the last several weeks about new concerns on the virus new concerns about stimulus um, new concerns today with unemployment claims being a little bit weaker. Discretionary continues to outperform. And this is equally weighted. This is not Amazon versus Walmart. This is the average consumer discretionary stock is outperforming the average consumer staple stock. I think that speaks to a very robust consumer cycle here. And when you dig down what have been the big drivers of this move, home building is certainly high in that list. I want to show you XHB to start. This is the home building uh, ETF. Just think about this consolidated throughout the month of August and into September. As October comes around, XHB starts to break out. Then you have a day like today, you open much lower, you finish on the highs of the day. If you're long here, that's exactly the type of price action uh, that you want to see. And if you think about some of the parts uh, in this ETF, Lennar is a big weight, big home builder. Uh, But let's look at the history here. This is a 30-year chart of Lennar. It was a rocket ship from 1990 through 2005. Then it was dead money for the last 15 years, only in the last couple of weeks as this started to break out above that 75 level. Those were the 2005 highs. This is a major, major base. I think this can be a leader for a long time by pullbacks here. Then I think as Guy and Tim talk about Williams-Sonoma WSM, is a name you want to own here in the home retail space um another stock that's been in the bear markets in 2015 that bear market here is over and just note the bottom panel of this chart the relative strength versus the s p you were being paid to own this stock relative to the index uh, we like that so now you have a home you have a home retailer you need a place to sleep how about temper sealy mattresses tpx another one of these housing derivative stocks that we think trade very well here on the verge of breaking out of a five-year range. But note again, it's already broken out in relative terms versus the S&P. So I think consumer discretionary broadly remains strong. I think housing uh, tactically is another strong way to play this.
2: Chris, great to see you. Thank you. Nice seeing you. Chris Verone of Strategas. Uh Bonoan, which of these picks do you like, or I'll give you the option of saying other, another one.
1: Um, You know, I do like Williams-Sonoma, but I'm going to go with other. I don't want to just echo uh, the, the other two guys here. I still like Fortune Brands. Um, I think it also is a way of playing the housing sector in a derivative type of way, or a, a derivation thereof, I should say. Um, I think it allows you to get away from just the first order of things with the home builders themselves. And I think that you are going to see people continue to deploy capital in upkeep of their homes. And that's how I'd be playing it.
2: Yeah, in fast money circa 2000 parlance, that would be second derivative trades. Uh, Brian Kelly, where do you go in the housing space? <laughs>
5: Yeah, so I think you want to stay actually with the higher end type of thing. The one thing we know about this recovery, it's not V-shaped, it's K-shaped. So some people are doing really well if you have assets. So, you know, I want to go Toll Brothers. I want to look at something like that. Certainly Williams-Sonoma, a lot of people buying Dutch ovens, as Tim has mentioned. I definitely want to stick with that. Anything (laughs) that is on the higher end you want to be in. You guys are like schoolgirls
2: giggling over there. Coming up, game over for DraftKings. Shares dropping as the coach of one of the biggest teams in college football. tests positive for COVID will bring you the trade. But first, Donovan's winding up for a fast pitch on one solar stock he says has a particularly sunny outlook. We'll find out what it is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money, looking to power up your portfolio. Look no further, because Bonoan is here with a name that could do just that. Bonoan, what's your fast pitch?
1: Well, uh, Coach Guy made a visit to the mound in between innings and straightened me out there. told me to put a little bit more muster on this thing. So let's see if we can get this across the finish line. So I'm taking a look at First Solar here. And uh, there's a few reasons why I really like this going into uh, the election year and forward. So If you look at the secular trend, away from fossil fuels to renewables. And I think you've seen this in terms of IEA statements, in terms of watching and expecting us to go from 25% to that to increase 50% from 2018, to 2024. And then you've seen it translate in terms of the electric vehicles, Tesla, Neo, so forth and so on. And then if you take into account what might be proper positioning for a blue sweep, Biden has already come out and said he plans on spending two plus trillion dollars over the next four years in order to accelerate this trend this secular trend again to renewables and the last thing i want to point out is what to me is a pretty stellar balance sheet in a space where most of their competitors are fueling operations with debt 10 15 billion dollars plus of debt you see first allr has about half a billion dollars versus about 1.5 billion dollars of cash that's enough for 3 or 4 years to fund their operations they could also tweak uh, CapEx if they need to mitigate some of their free cash flow burn. So all of those things stack up. And what might be, on the surface, weaknesses on their balance sheet? Revenue, I'd like to see that growth a bit higher, and gross margins. I think as you see targeted spending in the space, you'll see an uplift on both of those fronts from both targeted spending and the technological advancement that is likely to, to follow trend as more money is circulating in that subsector. That's why I'm playing it.
2: All right. Uh, time for questions. Tim's got one.
6: Yeah, Bono, very interesting call, and we earlier referenced back to Fast Money circa 2000 or or 2005. I mean, this is certainly one of those names, and and my question is, um, yes, I understand the catalysts uh, that are political and policy related. I think the big catalyst for the entire sector is profitability, so can you give me some sense on, uh, even without a change in political posture in this country, are the gross margins still going higher here? Because I think that's where the skepticism to take this stock to the next level, which has done very well this year.
1: Well, you know, the gross margins are trending in the right direction. I still think they're in, like, the, the middle to low 20s. I'd like to see that closer to, the, you know, 30 percent. I mean, so, I mean, you point out a great point there. I do think, again, part of that is going to be somewhat mitigated once there's some cost savings that they're able to actualize in terms of efficiencies in, in producing some of these panels. And, again, if you do get additional spin towards that, I think that will help uh, accelerate that and pull that forward even more.
2: All right. No more questions. It is time to vote. So are you buying Bono's pitch on First Solar? Guy Adami, what do you say? No audio. Good thing uh, he's written it on a whiteboard. Although there's a reflection which blocks what it is actually saying. <laughs> oh, I'm with B Icebreaker, so it's a buy. You want to mime? <laughs> mime, Mime, Guy. Mime your uh, reason. So.
6: Hopefully oh, you can,
4: can get audio can you back. you hear me now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I apologize. You know, a lot of cords when you're working from home. Things get tripped. I would say this. You look at this stock, the run that it's had. It's had a huge run. You say it's very expensive. But you know what? It's only trading at 23 times next year's numbers with 20 percent EPS growth. Again, I'm with B icebreaker.
2: Oh, I was really looking forward to you miming
6: that. But maybe another show. Uh, Tim was- Seymour, what would you say? Yeah, it's it's appropriate that the icebreaker is choosing a stock that is really breaking out of a out of a multi-year range. So I, I am a buyer of what he is selling. Icebreaker. Brian
5: Kelly. Well, you know, this thing is breaking out of a multi-year base. The decarbonization of the electric grid is here to say to stay. BK is here for the base. It's all about the base. You buy it. The longer the base, the higher in space, is a know well known technician. Base? Louise Yamada
2: says. Um, clean sweep, Bonwin. Good job. The traders have spoken, but more importantly, it is you at home, your turn to vote. So head on over to our Twitter poll at CMBC Fast Money. Tell us if you are buying or selling Bonwin's fast pitch on First Solar. We'll have the results later on in the show. Coming up, a major buzzkill for DraftKings after Alabama's head coach tests positive for COVID. What it could mean for the future of sports betting. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at DraftKings down over 5% today. The news coming as the head of Alabama's football team, coach Nick Saban, as well as the team's athletic director, tested positive for the coronavirus. DraftKings is now down about 23% since the start of the year. You know, we've talked to the various DraftKings uh, founders, CEOs, etc., and they've all said that you know, this is, the, it's not going to be important one game or a series of games not being played, but yet this is always the reaction that we've seen in the stock, Tim, whenever there is a sort of threat to a schedule. Tim.
6: Oh, sorry. Uh, yes. Well, every time we've seen that threat, it's also been an opportunity to buy it. Whether that's uh, the time right now, DraftKings issues are really more about uh, a an offering in some sense that you've seen some 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 of the insiders, some of the early investors selling out on amazingly profitable positions. Nick Saban is a football god. SEC football is the best. But that's not uh, something that's going to change the trajectory of sports betting, online sports betting. Look at the, the numbers out of New Jersey, which set records and actually beat Las Vegas. Um, look at the The deal they just signed with Turner uh, and and Bleacher Report. It's it's a major deal to be the exclusive player to providing stats and essentially access to their platform. So uh, these types of stories are the ones that are more important. The addressable market growth is is very important. The valuation didn't make sense. uh, It doesn't make sense now. It didn't make sense 30 percent ago, nine days ago when it hit the the, the recent highs. Um, This is a time to be buying weakness in what I think is a great long-term story.
2: Guy.
4: It's interesting, I mean, what we didn't talk about is that second that 32 million share secondary that got priced at 52, which was a pretty steep discount as to where the stock was trading and it really obviously hasn't recovered since what I will say, I didn't see this move coming because I've been very in you know bullish on the name and I continue to be. It's had this huge downdraft, but the levels we just traded down to today basically are right up against the levels we topped out at at June so past Uh, resistance becomes support. And I think you find it in the form of 46. And I think you stay with it. And my pushback to Tim would be, I will stack up the Patriot League, led by Georgetown University's football team, against the SEC any day one. And number two, Mel, I am shocked Mm. that you know who Nick Saban is. But I shouldn't be, because you you have, you know, surprised me over the years.
2: Well, I am married to a huge fan of Alabama football, specifically. So I heard about this as soon as it happened. (laughs) As soon as it was reported.
6: Yeah, Big game this weekend, and let's hope it happens. But our best of health the Nick Saban, for sure. Exactly. Coming up,
2: crude getting crushed this year, but options traders are betting one big oil name will shake the sell-off off off, uh, when it reports earnings tomorrow. We'll break down the action. And coming up at the top of the hour, Jim Cramer is talking to the CEO of Sorrento Therapeutics as the company enters the next phase of its COVID drug trials. We've got much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil in the red for the first time since Monday as new lockdown measures around the globe threaten demand recovery. We'll learn a little more about the energy space when Schlumberger reports earnings tomorrow morning. The oil giant is still down 50 percent on the year, but option traders are betting a turnaround could be imminent. Bonwin's got the action. Take it away, Bonwin.
1: Thank you. So looking forward in terms of the, the implied move, it looks like options are implying about a 5 percent move neither direction between now and tomorrow's X-ray. So just a one day move there. And then the trade that really stuck out to me was 1,000 of the November 17.5 calls traded around 56 cents, putting your break even at 18.06 or about 13% higher than current spot. This seems like a cheap way to play a bounce back in a space that's been beaten down and beaten down hard. Options are implying a pretty significant move versus about a 3% move historically. So it'll be interesting to see how things shape up tomorrow a.m.
2: Yeah, Guy, what do you think about
4: SLB? You know, Tim's talked about it. I think you can make a very compelling case for both Halliburton and Slumberger, And I would mention on the back of that, Goldman Sachs just upgraded ExxonMobil from sell uh, to neutral. So mm. maybe the space is finally getting some love, having been crushed for a while. So, you know, I was with B. Icebreaker and First Solar. I'll I'll, I'll stay with it. Joker, Joker, and the triple uh, in terms of Slumberger. You mentioned it. You pronounced it much better than I, but... You know, in the business, we used to call it slumberger. Man. I
2: thought you called it slab. No, bk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah slab, slab. You know, yeah. sld. Slab. Uh, Brian Kelly, what do you think of uh, oil yeah. in general?
5: Yeah, well, I call it sch- schlumberger as well. So, uh, <laughs> but but oil, you know, oil's been quite weird this year. Frankly, I haven't traded oil that well, so I don't feel qualified to talk about schlumberger or schlumberger. Uh, but I do think that if we can get a breakout higher in oil, which is possible. Uh, then you want to go into the oil service names, which would be your Halliburton and your slabs. All right.
2: For, the, for more options action, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, we got the uh, final trades. The CNBC Financial Advisor Summit is back, bringing together the country's top advisory firms to explore the state of the markets. Join Jay Clayton, Mario Gabelli, Danny Fava, and many more. Please visit cnbcevents.com slash FASummit to learn more and register for the summit, which happens October 20th. Okay, well, this is the point of the show where we normally would reveal the results of the fast pitch, in this case, Bonwin's pitch on First Solar. But in a first for us Twitter appears to be down. We have reached out to the company to confirm if there is an outage, but everybody out in here outside that don't seem to have access uh to Twitter. But Bonnowin, all of our traders bought your pitch, so we are going to mark this as a win. Cute time of your life. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy it. <laughs> it is time now for the final by the way we reach out to Twitter and we will keep you updated on CNBC. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
6: Maybe there was something controversial uh, in in that post. I don't know. But uh, anyway, uh, Intel, nothing controversial about the chart and a slow grind higher off of what was a dreadful 2Q. The bar is very low for 3Q, and I think you own it into earnings.
2: Bono and Eisen.
1: I mean, it's worked for me thus far. Maybe there's an outage again. I'll stick with First Seller.
5: B.K. Brian Kelly. You know, it's interesting today. Copper sneakily was green before anything else. You buy Freeport Mac FCX. Mm, Dr. Copper. Guy Adami.
4: You know, it's crazy. So we talked about the Williams-Sonoma and the Dutch ovens. I was just yeah. scrolling through my phone and I'm <laughs> getting all these pop-up ads for those cruet <laughs> things, the, the heavy pots that yeah. you p- apparently bake in. Frog it's a, it's, like, it's like somebody's listening. I mean, who who doesn't love a good Dutch oven? You don't need to sell me on one. It's totally weird. You know what else is weird? McDonald's.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported
8: by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.